This is Papa Smurf. You're listening to Our Lifestyle, the podcast with ODB and the mayor. Yo, 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 it's our Lifestyle Podcast episode 294, and if you've been a long-time listener, you know that this is going to be a best-of episode during the summer 2022. We're basically doing kind of bi-weekly episodes, as I've mentioned the last couple of weeks, but we're going to keep the show going with some of our best-of content. Now, ironically, this week, I actually was working on a little bit of new content mixed in with some old content. And I talked with Lucky up in Canada because he's had some cool stuff going on lately. And I'm going to have to redo that because for whatever reason, we had some awesome audio. It just did not save how um, you know I go about you know this podcast. It just did not save. So that was a little bit of a downer. But I told myself, hey, we got to keep on keeping on. And that's what we're doing. So uh, we want to give a huge shout out to Scraping the Coast. Many of you are on your way or already in Biloxi for the 20th anniversary of Scraping the Coast. Miggity Mike, the mayor, and Mrs. Mayor will be out there. I am staying back. Saturday is the last day that I'll be doing the wiring in my garage. Um, the homie Fred is coming by, and we're going to hopefully finish that up. I have uh, two, three, four parts so far of. What we've been doing on our YouTube channel, you can check it out. Again, we're doing the wiring in the metal building that I put up years ago. And I'm trying to get that wrapped so that we can kind of trigger the next step to get the power release uh, because we're getting the new meter for the garage area of, of the, sh- the shop. So that's what I got going down. So I'm not going to be at Scrape. And I just talked to Mike a few minutes ago. He's on his way with Mrs. Mayor and they are going to be set up inside We've got a ton of skate decks. We've got the new Time Machine merchandise, and the stuff is going crazy quick, even the online orders, so we've got to shut the website down. If you're in Biloxi, have fun at Scraping the Coast. Make sure you tag Scraping the Coast show on Instagram and hashtag Scraping the Coast. Now, many of you also are going to be at East Tennessee Showdown. Love that show. I've been there before. I actually wish I could have made it this year. And just with what I got going on, I just could not. Maybe next year I'll make it. Uh, It is unfortunate those two shows are on the same weekend. But rest assured, there's plenty to go around. And I know whether you're in Tennessee or you're on Biloxi, you're going to be having a damn good time. So again, huge shout out to Scraping the Coast. On this episode, right? So this quick intro that I'm doing for this best of, I'm going to rerun Mike Finnegan's audio. Now... Everybody knows Mike Finnegan, and the crazy thing is, obviously, he's got his roots, original roots, are with Mini Trucking. Uh, Since we've had him on, that was back on episode 75, okay? We're on almost episode 300, and it's amazing to me that, uh, you know, we got a chance to sit down with him, and it was all that, you know, pretty pretty, uh, good amount of time ago. What's awesome, though, is, you know, whether you're watching Faster with Fitigan or you're watching Roadkill, all of that success, all of those shows are, of course, available through Motor Trend, which I've been recently hooked to watching all the shows via the Apple TV. 
Now, ironically enough, I think it was about four years ago. So it was July, late July of 2018. So four years ago. And I'll run Mike's audio um, in just a minute. Now, we want to thank all of our sponsors. You guys hear me talk about them all the time and all the different episodes. But when Mike is going to be out there at Scraping the Coast, he's going to have a ton of skate decks. And those skate decks come from Joey Dilworth. Joey is kind of the guy that supplies the entire truck scene, whether it's Lone Star Throwdown, Scraping the Coast, Bayou Showdown, Mini Nats, these crazy awesome shows out there. All of those skate decks come through Joey. He's got the he's got it on lock. He gets them done quick. Look up Get Decked. It's Joey at Get Decked. He even does one-off skate decks. So if you're looking for a gift for your significant other for a, a born day or Christmas, that type of deal, Joey can do it. You can send him a photo. Um, he can you know obviously work with if you've got artwork and you want to move it around, landscape, portrait, that type of stuff, depending on the skate deck and your artwork, Joey at Get Deck can make it happen. I know Scraping the Coast is going to have a ton of skate decks as well, and it's cool because they have four different shirts available, uh, banners, stickers, as well as, of course, skate decks, as we mentioned. So get out, uh, hopefully, to Scraping the Coast and get your merchandise, and, uh, man, just have fun. I think from that, um, we, I have a ton of stuff lined up. Um, I'm still working to get Gendro's audio done. We've got a couple other legends, so I don't know next week um, what episode I'm going to run yet. It's really going to kind of depend on a couple things. Uh, so I'm super excited about that. We're not kind of let, even though we're we're taking you know every other week off a little bit. Obviously, I still got to edit. I still got to pull this stuff together. We are keeping the pedal stomped, and I'm telling you, the next few shows. If everything goes well, we're going to have some awesome, awesome, awesome episodes. I certainly appreciate everyone that continues to come back and listen. Depending on how you're following us, uh, make sure you hit subscribe or follow. Uh, Of course, these now batch to YouTube, so you can listen there as well. We don't use copyrighted music, so there's nothing really blanked out, so to speak. Now, next week is going to be July 1st, so a week from today if you're a day one listener. On July 1st, uh, we'll have a ton of scene updates. There's just been a lot of cool stuff going on, so I'll cover all of those. We'll have Mike on, hopefully, to recap Scraping the Coast, which will be badass. And then a week from, well, or two weeks from now, you're basically going to be at Southern Tradition. That's the 9th and 10th up in Canton, Georgia, so that's going to be awesome as well. But, you know, between Southern Tradition coming up, Camp and Drag, um, Slamboree, the Spark Show, which is going to be you know in August, and uh, there's just a lot of good stuff going on the truck scene. Uh, I would remind everyone too, you know, Mike Finnegan is a huge guest, kind of in the automotive world now. Um, we're not just mini trucks on this podcast. You know, we talk about a little bit of old school BMX, which there's going to be more on that coming. We talk about pretty much whether it's low riders, mini trucks, hip hop, you know it. We talk about it here. So, again, subscribe and or follow if you found us recently. And uh, enjoy this audio with Mike Finnegan, an OG, and someone that has had just tremendous success. Hit up ourlifestylepodcast.com if you want to buy some merch. The site will be shut down for a few days. Stay on the rise, ODB. We got you. Peace. love sitting down with different folks within the scene, and we've got uh, a guest that we've been looking at having on for a minute, uh, Mr. Mike Finnegan. What's going down, Mike? 
Hey, man. Good to be here. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. No doubt. Hey, I appreciate all the love on our lifestyle of the podcast and some of the likes as well over on the C30 Addict. We're going to talk about the ramp truck and a few things, but I have to start off, Mike. You know, you're a guy that when I look at, you know, uh, your knowledge, you know a lot about shit that's automotive. How did you get your start as far as some of the knowledge as, uh, you know, as far as wrenching on motors and things like that? Uh, I've been really lucky. I, I really don't have any formal training. You know, I took a couple of years of high school auto shop, but um, that's about it. After that, it was just hanging out with people that knew more than I did and uh, listening to them and then going home and buying tools and breaking stuff. You know, I've, <laughs> I've destroyed I've destroyed a lot of stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, some of the stuff I built in the early years. I mean, it's stuff I would be embarrassed to build today. So but, you know, that, that's how you learn. You know, we can't all go to school for this, you know. There's no doubt about it. I've seen you kind of make some of those references on Roadkill, which I think is cool that you, you know, you really kind of just speak the truth. Now, going back a, a long time, uh, I know we're about the same age, but when I was maybe kind of get, first getting into mini trucking, I recall that you made the trek from, I believe it was New York to the West Coast. Now, many know the story, but can you give us maybe a little bit of insight into how that trek happened? Oh God, that was probably that's as roadkill as it gets in terms of a road trip. <laughs> I um, I, I was born and raised in Southern California and moved to New York uh, around '95, I think. I went out there because my dad had taken a job out there. My mom, my brother, the whole family just moved, mm-hmm. and um, eventually, I didn't go right away. I just graduated high school and you know was in love with a girl and loved mini trucking and i wasn't gonna leave california so i stuck around for about a year after the family moved and then i think i got tired of being broke so i threw (laughs) everything in my mini truck uh it was a 94 toyota standard cab on air shocks and drove cross country to new york and got there and immediately met like the only mini trucker within (laughs) 50 miles it was like you like it was funny because i i get into town and the next day there's a local car cruise so i go to it and it was me and one other mini trucker amongst <laughs> nothing but hot rods and muscle cars so we we instantly had to become friends because there was no one else to hang out with and i was there probably see from 95 to 2000 going to school and then i met courtney Hallowell and um once I realized what he did for a living, I decided that's what I wanted to do. And so he kind of coached me through what classes to take in college. And then um, he was at street trucks by the time I graduated and Mike self was working at mini trucking. Mm-hmm. And so I graduate school, I hit the road to go back to California and just take this hellacious road trip in this beat up motorhome. And along the way, end up talking to Mike Self, who tells me he's about to quit mini trucking. And I convinced him, I think, not to quit until I made it back to California. And so he quits. I coast into California in a shitty motorhome on fumes and (laughs) drag my Tacoma into the mini trucking magazine office and end up getting a job there. And uh, it's just been a a whirlwind uh, dream ever since then, you know. That's like one of the classic stories where someone wants to become an actor and they just kind of move to LA and then somehow they become a big star. But, uh, I know yeah. some of the details kind of align with that. I do. I had a lot of lucky breaks, you know, I mean, I, you know, if I hadn't met Mike, so it might've been a Texas heat wave when I ran into him, 
during my road trip. And I think that was when he told me he was quitting. And then if I hadn't met Courtney, I never would have graduated college because I was just treading water. I, I was going to college, but I had no idea why. And, uh, and even when I, you know, when I moved to California, my ex-girlfriend and I lived in that motorhome in front of Courtney's house for Jesus. I don't even know how long it was probably a solid month or two before I got the job and got some money saved up to get an apartment, you know? And, uh, you know, I just, I had a lot of lucky breaks leading up to that moment. And ever since then, well, I think it's smart that a lot of people that do sometimes have a lucky break, as you mentioned, you kind of ran with it and, you know, you didn't just, um, you know, let it, you know, you know, flutter or whatever the word is. So, you know, I think that's pretty badass. Now, when I think back to, you know, you get out to the back to the West coast and you were at that time you were at mini trucking, right? And then later on it morphed into, I think you were at the editor of, of sport truck for a while. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe some of the good memories from that, those times? Oh yeah. Like the, my time at mini trucking was just awesome because, you know, I was just so hardcore about the scene and, and hanging out with my friends and, you know, I was driving and flying everywhere to shows. I got to go to Showfest, you know, in Greenville before it kind of got out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, Heat Wave, um, some of the first events in Laughlin at the AV. Um, just, you know, it was just a lot of fun. A lot of just crazy things were happening back then. Like, you know, guys were just getting into like turboing their mini trucks, which is how I ended up turboing my mini truck and, um, you know, it was just a good time in my life. It was a lot of, you know, truck runs and drunken nights and, you know, <laughs> yeah, the good, good old times. Days. And, yeah. And it all went by really fast because I was only trucking, I think, for probably two years before um, I moved to Off Road Magazine um, because I was really interested in the Baja scene and desert racing and, you know, trucks you could jump. And I was there for uh, probably about two years, and then I moved on to Hot Boat Magazine mm-hmm. okay. um, because I had grown up uh, with jet boats, uh, thanks to my parents. And so I got all into that, and then I was there a couple of years there, and then the job at Sport Truck opened up, and it was a chance to come back and work with some friends of mine, uh, Mini Truck and an Off-Road Magazine. So I came back there and that was, I think I was there four years. You know, we had a lot of fun kind of, you know, sport truck was kind of, it's kind of floundering at that point. Mm-hmm. Like sport truck traditionally was like your old man's magazine, you know, it was <laughs> yeah. all just four, six drops and rakes and, you know, air intakes and performance and stuff like that. And, and the guys that worked there, like John O'Neill and, uh, Kalen head and, I forgot who else was there when I first arrived, but those guys were kind of moving in a direction of, you know, laying stuff on the ground was cool. And, uh, they had already kind of put a template in place for sport truck where it was pretty much in my opinion, it was one of the coolest magazines out at that time. And so when I got there, it was pretty easy to just take what they were doing and just keep pushing them, you know, in that direction. Um, I, that lasted till 2009 when the, the company that owns Sport Truck also owned its competition, which was Trucking. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the decision was made to keep Trucking Magazine intact and to shut down Sport Truck. And so, even though we were profitable, uh, we were out of business and we all got laid off. 
And uh, I think I was out of work probably six months before I got the call to go to Hot Rod Magazine. And then my life's just kind of been upside down ever since. In a good way, though. Hells, yeah. So I got to ask you, it seems like in one of the – and we'll talk a little bit about Finnegan's Garage on YouTube, which I love. There's a C10 that, if I remember correctly from watching it, you reacquired. Wasn't that the C10 that you started or maybe acquired originally when you were at Sport Truck? Yeah, yeah. Um, back in 2007, I think, Mike Alexander, who was at Mini Track at the time, mm-hmm. he and I – I don't know what happened. We just decided neither one of us would finish a truck anytime soon <laughs> if we didn't just make a bet and force ourselves to finish by a date. And by then, I had tried, traded away my Tacoma Burnt Taco, and I had been driving around a long travel Toyota Tundra that I, you know, used to take the desert and jump, but I didn't have anything lowered, and uh, it bummed me out, and I missed you know, driving lower trucks. So I had bought this C10 and at the time they were kind of like finding a short bed 67 C10 at the time was kind of hard. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what that was, but when I finally decided I wanted a lower truck, I started searching Craigslist and whatnot. Dude, I couldn't find one. I drove all the way from Orange County, California up to Mount St. Helena, which is above Napa. Mm-hmm. And it was far to buy this truck off of a farmer and it was a pile of crap and got back home and, Alexander got the bright idea to like challenge each other to get our trucks running and driving <laughs> and laid out um, in time to go to the Forbidden Fantasy show. And we did it. We both made it. It was crazy. I'd spent a ridiculous amount of money and took a whole lot of time at night and weekends and even away from work to work on that truck. But we finally, we, we finally got it running and driving and it had a tube chassis, it had an independent rear suspension. It had an LS2 in it and a four L65E automatic trans. And and it laid the rocker on the ground on 22s back in, I think it was 2007, 2008. And uh, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. And then, I don't know what happened. You know, I get laid off. Life changes. Broke probably at the time and sold it to a buddy of mine, Justin, in 2008 or 9 and then 10 years later i run into him just at a car show in ohio (laughs) and he tells me he's yeah he tells me he's still got it it sat under a car cover in the corner of his shop for 10 years he didn't touch it at all Oh, that's right because you kind of told that story on that episode of finnegan's garage i think yeah so i was like wow dude because i loved that truck it was probably the most well-fabricated thing I'd built to date. And and a large portion of that was because of the friends I, you know, was working with at the time. They were better fabricators than I were. So I was learning from them. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, God, you know, it would be great to have that back and and to finally finish it. And so I made a deal to buy it back without the motor and trans. And I got it back last summer or the summer before, I forget. And so I've been working on it off and on ever since and hopefully next year it'll be on the road again and i can go cruise to a show again because i haven't been to a truck show and god knows how Forever. yeah you're gonna show up like damn like there he is man finnegan in oh, the house so much fun yeah that's good shit now what i don't know i might have a vague memory of this did you would did you ever have a c10 that was stolen i remember i don't know if it was from the street source days for some reason i remember that but th- maybe that wasn't a truck you owned 
No, you're right. You're right. I did. I, I had, I think this is my third 67 to 72. I had a 69. I think I had two 69s and one of them I had, let's see the sequence of events. I had that crappy motor home that I mm-hmm. traded for, uh, a crew cab dually. I remember then that I traded dually. The, famous. Then dually. I traded yeah, famous dually. <laughs> then I traded that dually. I was drunk at, I think, a council run. I remember La hearing Paz. that story. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I was drunk at a council run with Chappie from Severed Ties, Utah. And we were, like, sitting there, and he's like, I want the dually. And I was like, dude, your truck's rad. And we left the run, like, the next morning and drove all the <laughs> way back to California and traded trucks. Like, it was nuts, like. He took the dually and loaded it on a car trailer that it barely fit on, and he left. He left his uh, bagged and body drop sixty nine, you know, with me. And uh, I love that thing. It was orange. It was laid out on eighteen inch wheels. The thing was cool, and uh, I had that thing long enough to back half it, take the bags off, and put hydraulics on it, and then a dickhead guy i knew who i thought was my friend when i was i was gone on my honeymoon parted the truck out he got pissed off at me and he parted the truck out and then told me it was actually told me it was stolen and uh from his shop and i you know i believed him at the time i didn't know any better and uh so i was like holy crap my truck got stolen and then like two years later a mutual friend of ours was like nah dude it didn't get stolen he parted that shit out i was like oh you're like, holy yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. And it, and, it, and it makes sense, you know, because like, he was the kind of guy that, like, you know, he was a shop owner who, you know, he would take in too many cars, couldn't finish anything for anybody. You know, customers would show up and he'd hide under his desk, like, literally hide under his desk. Like, he was wow. he was pretty much a scumbag. And uh, so it, it makes sense that, you know. Some would shady shit would go truck. down. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm Ultimately, I'm not surprised and. You know, it's just kind of one of those things. Lesson learned: Don't leave your truck sitting around too long at somebody's shop. <laughs> yeah, you might not get it. You might not get it back. <laughs> We've heard those stories. So yeah. you mentioned burnt taco. You know, we know the history with the Tacoma. You know, I think a lot of people do. But can you give us just maybe like a bullet pointed rundown of you know you built this famous truck. We all loved it, and it kind of moved on and it kind of took on a life of its own. Um, you know, for anybody that doesn't know the story, can you kind of give us just a little bit of insight on it? Yeah, yeah. So my so it goes back to my first mini truck. I had a I bought a brand new '94 Toyota Standard Cab, just stripped down truck. Mm-hmm. Like uh, bought it from Longo Toyota in California. It was like seventy four hundred bucks, brand new. Wow. It had crank windows, no AC, no power steering. Even the back bumper wasn't there. That was optional. Mm-hmm. And that was the truck that um that was the truck I drove to New York. And I get to New York, and I'm trying to be a normal human being with a mini truck. And, uh, <laughs> no, it was hard to do when winter would roll around. You know, I'd try to go snowboarding, and I would get stuck at the ski resort because the parking lot was uphill to leave, you know. And, like, more than once, I'd be in that truck, you know, and there'd be snow on the ground. And it would I just have to leave it there because I couldn't get out of the parking lot, you know. And, more than once, I'd try to drive to college and end up in a ditch because the truck spun out. You know, because right. it was on, it was on seventeen-inch probe wheels with 
you know, Euro radial TAs and, and it just, it sucked during the winter. And one night I'm driving home from work and I slid into a snowbank for like the 40th time. And I just lost it. I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm done. And I looked across the street and there was a Nissan dealer. <laughs> so I walked, <laughs> I walked right in there and traded it in on a Nissan four by four in 1997. And I thought that four by four, it was black. It kind of, you know, I don't know, in my head, it kind of reminded me of the truck from Back to the Future, even though it wasn't oh, a Toyota. Yeah. And so I treated it like, you know, I treated it like a monster truck. I jumped the hell out of that thing. I'd drive through the woods and the bushes and just beat the crap out of this truck. But once winter was over and the sun was out again, the, my brand new Nissan was scratched in it. It was trash. The sway bar was dangling. You know, it was pretty beat up. And then I wanted to cruise again. You know, I wanted a mini truck again. So... I then drove to a Toyota dealership and bought a 97 Tacoma and the 97 Tacoma was what ultimately turned into burnt taco. And I don't think a lot of people know this, but the reason it ended up being called burnt taco is because I caught it on fire when I was working on it. Ah, okay. Was, uh, yeah. And so that story is I'm that a lot of that truck got built at my friend Sean's shop. We, um, we had step notched it and I was grinding something on the chassis i don't even know what it was but this truck i think it still had paper plates on it It was brand new and i had a bed sheet over the cab trying to protect the glass mm -hmm. from the welding from the grinding sparks and i'm grinding and the sparks are hitting it and i'm not it's very very loud in the shop i'm not looking and the sheet over the cab caught on fire and so did my shirt and wow. it it burnt a perfect circle on my gut in the shirt <laughs> holy shit and it lit the cab of the truck on fire, and we got it put out, and it really didn't get it really didn't get hurt or anything. But that's how the truck became known as Burnt Taco. It was because it caught on fire. Yeah, so that's crazy. So you build it right, and you it comes up with this you know awesome name, the graphics, you know even the logo on the back was sick. The interior, it had like a touch of everything once it was finished. So I think you mentioned earlier, you know, you sell the truck, and it's it's kind of taken on a life of its own. And there was an accident, I believe there's just a lot of shit that, that's happened to that, that Tacoma. Yeah. It's funny. Every time I get tagged constantly on Facebook, anytime someone asks about it and, uh, it seems like the story has been told 3000, <laughs> 3000 times. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I, I bag it and I body drop it in my home garage in New York, in my parents' garage. And, uh, the funny part about, you know, I had traded in the Nissan on the Tacoma and so I'm upside down. Like, I, I don't know how much money I lost on the Nissan, but I was upside down on, mm -hmm. on it. And uh, so I buy this truck, come home, and my dad's like, what the hell? That's the second truck you bought in six months. You know, what are you doing? And I'm like, trust me, I know what I'm doing, right? So <laughs> my parents go away. And I think at the time, my dad took a job in Saudi Arabia. And wow. he and my mom, he and my mom moved there for three years. And they left my brother and I, both of us in college, in their house in New York, which was just a bad idea. I mean, we partied our asses off. I'm thinking and, Snoop Dogg the, gin and juice video, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, we literally had pimp and hoe parties in their house. It was awesome. <laughs> and um, But one of the things that actually set my dad over the edge was he came home to find his Corvette out in the driveway and they had a three car garage. Like we were fully middle class. Like we, mm -hmm. you know, trust me, I, I'm not from the hood. I never starved. Um, <laughs> but my dad comes home, finds his Corvette in the driveway, 
and all three garage doors are shut and he opens the garage doors and my brand new Tacoma is blown apart completely because <laughs> I'm body dropping it in his garage. And he's just like, what the hell you're making payments? Like nothing's labeled, you know, like sure. there's no bags, there's no bags with, you know, screws labeled. This is for the doors and like none of that. And, and my dad fully believes I will never put it back together. <laughs> and it, it took about, uh, it took about six months, I think, of working every night after work with my roommate Troll. But we we bagged it, we body dropped it, took it to a body shop in uh, Middletown, New York, called Eurocraft Collision. Those dudes painted it Porsche Riviera blue. Uh, I think my ex girlfriend actually fronted me the money for the KMC Alps and uh, got the truck together and running with a tweet interior, and then moved to California, and then. I get there and we turbo the thing and shot it for mini trucking for tech article, I think. And one night it was like right after a severed ties meeting or one of the severed ties shows, it was just sitting idling in a parking lot for like <laughs> 10 minutes and talking to people. Mm-hmm. And the turbo got so hot that it bubbled the paint on the hood and you know, the hood was kind of messed up. And so I call Frank Recklin out of Phoenix and I said, Hey, I need my hood touched up and I know you paint, you know, can you, can you help me out? And he says, sure. So I take the truck to him and it was there for a little while. And he calls me one day and he's like, don't ask any questions. Just order all this paint and send it to me. <laughs> and I had a friend at house of color and I said, all right. And I really didn't They were just paint codes. I didn't even know what it was. Right. Mm-hmm. So I send this list to my buddy at house of color and he says are you sure he said this is like a palette of paint I'm like dude i don't know i don't know what he's doing <laughs> and so i call him i'm all, all right this stuff's coming what are you gonna do like just a little graphic over the hood to fix this spot and he's like yeah, yeah don't worry about it and i don't remember how long it took but he called me one night and said get out here and i get out there and he's put 72 colors on this thing insane I mean, it is ridiculous and a couple of his friends redid the stereo in it, built that crazy console with the three eight inch subs and the skull. And mm-hmm. I mean, they just, they went off. The truck was incredible. And, and I'm the least artistic person I know. So I, you know, I, I'll ruin a stick figure if I try and draw it. So <laughs> Same here. I could have never told him, Hey, this would, he did it all on his own. And, uh, and it was cool, man. I really liked that one side of the truck was completely different than the other. You know, if I hadn't been broke at the time, I would have got a different set of wheels for one side. It's just so it looked like two different trucks, but yeah. the thing was awesome. And ultimately, ultimately, the reason I got rid of it was I kept getting, once it was back in California, I kept getting pulled over driving to the mini truck office by the same Cal State Fullerton cop who kept writing me fixing tickets for things I couldn't fix. Like I had shaved the front corner lamps off of it mm-hmm. and he, and he would write me a ticket for modified lighting and I couldn't fix the modified lighting. You know, there just wasn't a way to do it. And I think I had racked up like a grand and fix the tickets. And finally I was just like, dude, I got to get rid of this truck. I can't even drive it. Mm-hmm. And so I traded away for another dually. And, uh, Troy, the guy that had traded me, I think he was commuting back and forth to Vegas in it to see his kid because it, it got better mileage than his dually did. And then he sold it to a woman that I had never met 
And I, the story that I heard was that she got tired of people asking if that was Mike Finnegan's truck. And so <laughs> that's why she painted it, that kind of purple and, and gray paint job, which to me, yeah, I, just, I wasn't into it, but it wasn't my truck anymore. So mm-hmm. I, I lost track of it. And then I kept hearing about it during kind of the days where I was at sport truck. And I had a chance to buy it back once when some kid in Oceanside owned it. And I didn't because he had told me that he had overheated it a couple times and, you know, the motor wasn't running right. And I was like, eh, nah, forget it. And then, I don't know, a year later, I got the photos that everybody else got of it rolled over in a ditch and totaled. I know. It's so crazy how these trucks, you know, like Farva's Blazer, the Blazerado, and some of them, it's crazy that they can resurrect some of them. Some of them, you know, as well as I do, Mike, it's like, I mean, they're a lost cause, but they do it. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I don't know the exact details, but it puts a smile on my face whenever someone brings this up because some kid, well, I don't know if he's a kid or not, but some guy in, I think Fresno, somewhere out in that area has got whatever's left of that truck. If you look in the cowl under the vents, you can see graphics going through them and graphics on the firewall from whatever pieces of burnt taco he's still got. I think he's got the motor and, and part of the cab. And, uh, you know, is that burnt taco? I don't know. But, you know, when I look at the graphics, I, you know, I think it is. So, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. He's still, uh, I'm stoked. Someone's still driving it around, you know, it would be really cool to see somebody restore it back to either, you know, the, the solid blue paint job or the one Frank did. Um, I think the one Frank did would be really, really expensive to replicate, but you know, either way, either way it would be cool. Cause I think right now it's, it's silver and it's got the wrong front end on it. Like it has a later, later model Tacoma front end on it, not mm-hmm. the 97. Yeah. But, uh, gotcha. And what's crazy, what's crazy to me is I'm a big back to the future fan and I've been reading or watching on YouTube recently. There's a guy and I forget how to say his channel, but he'll go and he'll seek out the movie cars. And some of them, you know, you know, as well as I do, they stayed in the universal back lot they rotted away. Well, of course, Back to the Future and Universal got behind restoring them. Now, the Toyota truck that you mentioned from the first Back to the Future was crushed, but the one that they used for Part 2 and Part 3 that was very similar, they did like a full restoration, bead blasted it and everything. It, everything excuse me. I think it's crazy how, you know, with the history, whether it be a mini truck or a movie car, that people are, you know, they, they have the passion to do it. I think it's bad, badass. Yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, and I... I dig seeing people do that. Like, um, there was a website for one of the cars from the movie Two Lane Blacktop, which is a favorite movie of mine. Um, it's an old hot rod movie, and somebody restored one of the '55 Chevys from that movie, one of the camera cars, and somebody else had a, a website. And I don't think it's up anymore. Where they had restored the Camaro from the movie Better Off Dead, and uh, <laughs> which is an excellent John Cusack comedy. And so it's cool that people, you know, are passionate enough to save stuff like that. Well, you know, and I've seen trucks that I've seen trucks that I don't know if they're tributes or whatever you want to call them, but that look real similar to Burnt Taco, man. It's it's cool to see. It's really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. And, you know, I got one thing for you. I want my two dollars, man. I love that part of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. Well, I went to the Rad BMX event, and, you know, we're similar age, and when I was growing up, you know, I was, give or take, seven, eight years old, Rad comes out in 86, and we watch it 
as many kids of the 80s did over and over on this VHS wherever my did dad Did you go ride Hell Track, dude? Yeah, so I went there, right, Mike? I'm there. And ah, I, I'm like, okay, I knew when I went there that I wasn't going to ride it because I'm like, there's – and I climbed up the deal, and I looked down, and I'm like, there's – I mean, you could have said, hey, dude, I'll give you fucking ten grand right now, and I wouldn't have dropped in on that shit. I was like, I'm going to hurt myself because I was never good. So so I had, a, I had an out, you know what I mean? Well, dude, I, I was, you know, I didn't know this was happening. I found out about it on Instagram and was so bummed that I couldn't go. But there was, there's footage of guys who, you know, you know, they're older guys, but yep. they used to be really good, just eating shit, trying to drop in on that thing. You know? I know, and I was like, I don't want to be one of those guys. But I think Bill Allen, you know, he's trying to find his kind of place. You know, he was never like an A-list star, but I think he now has the Hell Track name. Uh, uh, copyrighted, so he. I think he's going to try to do more of this, which I think you know. I think it'll be a you know. I don't have that cult following, which is cool. Cool. So, yeah. So there's another chance. I- I'm pretty sure. But um, you know, I wanted to ask you. You know, the magazine industry is is something that has really stemmed you know so many careers. Uh, what was the, like the what was the transition like? Maybe from behind the laptop and the lens more to behind the camera with roadkill because i think it's a cool transition everything's going video now yeah it was uh it was an interesting time making the switch because i i really enjoy writing i still do i i don't write nearly as much as i'd like to um but there were there came a moment i don't know about 2012 where i was i realized thanks to the work we were doing on roadkill Mm -hmm. i realized like this is it this is what i'm going to be doing you know the magazine thing is gonna you know you have to i had to put my eggs in one basket or the other because i was i was working for a hot rod full time and doing roadkill on the weekends Mm -hmm. and it was just it was destroying my life you know i just i didn't have any time and so there there came a moment where i was like all right that's it you know i had left hot rod and just did roadkill and it's the same company and the offices are next to each other but i i made a physical departure from one to the other i moved to the other building and and just started doing Roadkill and another show called Hot Rod Garage, and um, it it's not a massive change, you know. One of the things I realized was that it really doesn't matter what you look like or who you are if you can tell a story, mm-hmm. if you can write a story. As long as you're not annoying, you can be in front of a camera and somebody will appreciate, you know, the story you're telling. And so whether you're typing it or speaking it, it's it's kind of the same deal. And so I was lucky that I, you know. I always enjoyed writing and it came easy to me. So standing in front of the camera really wasn't that big of a deal. And uh, I think we're going to find that a lot of people, that's kind of be the way things are going. You know, like my, I doubt my kids, I've got a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. I doubt they're going to read magazines. You know, they're just, they're growing up with iPads in their hands. Yeah. Even books we've seen it. I'm still taking college classes. I'm on that 50 year plan. And, you know, I read on the iPad and it's easier than even having a laptop. If you can imagine that. Now, the show, one thing, you know, I get anxiety, right? So I'm watching the show. I enjoy it just like the next guy. And, uh, you know, I'm getting my anxiety. And I know, like, there's a film crew that's following you, right? What is, like, maybe one of the toughest times that you've had? Because, like, I can imagine, like, there's sometimes I see, like, I can can look and I'm like, man, you know, if I was in that position, I'd be exhausted right now. I just want to get a beer or, you know... uh, a little bit of food and a good night rest. Is there ever times that just really fucking uh, just push the limits? Um, not recently. It's, uh, you know, in the beginning it was just, it was pretty raw. It was just 
two guys with cameras following us and, and one of those guys usually edited the episodes. And so, you know, we, there's never been a script, but in the beginning it, we were, we had the leeway to go do really ridiculous things like drive 500 miles in one day in a really crappy car to get somewhere. <laughs> right. Right. And now because it's, it's now because it's kind of a bigger thing and there's more people involved we don't have we don't have the uh the limits to push well we don't we don't have the the freedom to go yeah we're gonna make stay up for 20 hours including (laughs) the guys holding the cameras and we're gonna drive 500 miles you know it's um the one of the things i realized is as passionate as everybody involved in roadkill is and they are they kick ass you know if if you're not the guy driving the car and if you're not the guy you know making a jump or winning the race like there's only so much passion there you know at yeah, the end of the day everyone's steam a little bit well yeah like you know like Freiburg and i are the ones really getting to have the fun the other guys you know they're filming it and their job is much more difficult than ours and so asking those guys to stay up for 20 hours because we want to build an engine on a picnic table <laughs> you know in a parking lot and then drive you know at two in the morning you know, we, we did that for several years and it got to the point where we were just going through crew people. They were burning out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so these days, you know, we try to work reasonably sane hours, you know, like I don't think more than like 12 hours a day, I think is kind of like our cutoff now. So and so I don't remember what the beginning of that question was, but that's the no, end. Of it. I know it's a little <laughs> long. Well, so going back to the beginning. So before we go off the subject. I remember there was an episode, I want to say, where you guys were going to drive to Alaska. And you, I think yeah. you guys kept doing it. And, like, when I'm watching that one, I'm like, you know, I'm going, damn, man, these guys, like, they're they're just like, you. there was no quit, dude. And I, and I just so appreciate that. Yeah, that was, you know, we were we were very lucky because, the you know, the first time we, we did it twice. And the first time we tried to do it, we didn't make it. We ran out of time and we ended up at the Grand Canyon instead of Alaska. <laughs> And so um, the second time we did make it and it was nine days straight in a 68 Ranchero or 69 Ranchero driving on the Alcan Highway, which is just a snow covered road between Canada and Alaska. And so, you know, we we made it. Luckily, I don't even know how we made it, but we somehow drove all the way there and got to a frozen lake and and failed miserably at, a you know, uh, racing around a frozen lake in our real drive car. And so, you know, that was, there were a lot of moments during that trip where we could have probably died or, you know, just gotten stuck and didn't make it, you know? So we got, we got lucky. We got very lucky. Hells. Yeah. And I think if I remember correctly, Mike, that people can go to motor trend and that's where they can subscribe. Is that correct to, to watch a lot of the episode, all the episodes, I'm sure. Right. So right now you can watch roadkill on the velocity channel, which is soon going to be named the motor trend channel on cable. I heard about that. Okay. But you can go to motortrend.com and watch roadkill for free. Now, like on the main page, there will be commercials in it, but you can watch the new episode for free. Um, if you want to go back and watch the old stuff, you'll have to subscribe and they've got like three different plans. It's a few bucks a month. Um, but yeah, going forward, that'll, that'll be the portal for roadkill is the company that owns it has created motortrend.com as a portal for not only roadkill, but all the other properties they've got, you know, everything from street outlaws to, uh, 
you know, pitch and rides and roadkill and hot rod garage, all that stuff is there. Yeah, it's nice. It's all in one spot. Now, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about, I, if I recall correctly, a few years ago, you moved to Georgia. And when I first saw it on Instagram, I kind of, I was like, now, wait a minute. Did he really move to Georgia? And that's not a bad place to live. It's a beautiful place. You got a nice home and stuff. What was the decision, um, you know, like to move there? And was it just that roadkill kind of that gig gives you a little bit of freedom? Uh, the roadkill thing, it was really lucky for me. Um, it, it didn't play into the decision to move. It just made it a lot easier to move because for roadkill, we don't, you know, we rarely start a road trip from LA anymore. So mm-hmm. we're flying all the time. But the decision to move to Georgia was because. I needed to be closer to my family. My dad was getting older and he had some medical issues. And over the years, a lot of my family, my brother, my mom, my dad, they all settled down in Georgia in a really beautiful area. And so we found a house with a big garage and just decided, you know, we didn't want to live in an apartment in Orange County, California anymore. And for the same amount of money, you can go to Georgia and have a house and, you know, with a yard and a garage. And so it was pretty easy to make the decision and then like i said i got lucky in that i was still able to do roadkill even though i didn't live in california anymore hells yeah so when i think of one of the things that comes to mind with you being there and whatnot is you know we have a lot in common i love c30 trucks i run the c30 addict page you've got a famous square (laughs) i think you call it the ramp truck um dude i mean dualies rock especially the squares but tell us a little bit about, you know, your love for those square body dualies. Uh, you know, and I'm honest with myself. It turns out I'm a truck guy and, uh, <laughs> it turns out I really like Chevy trucks. And so I've had a few square bodies and I love the body style. It's probably my favorite. I, I've had several 67 to 72s, but the 73 to 87 C10 and, you know, C20 and C30. And then, you know, if you've gone up, you go all the way up to 91 for, I think, the suburban and whatnot i love that body style and so right now i own the roadkill ramp truck which is a vehicle we bought during a roadkill episode and we road tripped it to bonneville to race uh freiburgers camaro and so i bought it i road tripped it from california to georgia i got about i don't know eight miles to the gallon driving back here (laughs) and 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 I use it to haul my 55 Chevy to the racetrack. And the thing is, I love it. It's awesome. It's so much better than hauling a trailer. But the 454 and Turbo 400, you know, it, it didn't make hardly any power, and it got crappy mileage. And so recently, I ripped that stuff out and stuck a Cummins 12-valve diesel with compound turbos in it. And then I put a 47RH four-speed with a lockup converter behind it, and the guys from Power Driven Diesel came to my house and helped me do the swap. And it just got running the other day, and I'm stoked and ready to start road tripping the thing. Hells yeah, man. Well, it's a cool truck. I've I've enjoyed watching a lot of the videos, especially when I think back to, like, episode 20. You know, you talk about it's, uh, you know, it was a hot truck. And, you know, you and I both know, especially with the 454 coming through the sheet metal there on the floor, and then there's not there's really no jute. There's no barrier there, and I remember I think you had a digital thermometer, uh, and boom, it's like just super, super hot. So, you know, it's cool seeing a lot of those little videos that you put together. So I appreciate you doing that on YouTube. Oh no problem, dude. You want to talk about hot? I drove it the <laughs> other day with uh, I had to cut open the firewall and the floor 
because it's a two wheel drive truck. It doesn't have the tall trans tunnel like a four by four. And shit. I, I drove it without the part portion of the firewall and trans tunnel there. And holy crap, it was like driving with an oven. The moment the turbo spooled and made boost, it was like someone opened an oven door on my feet. And <laughs> I immediately went back home and parked it and like, okay, I need to do some serious thermal containment and put some sheet metal there and whatever I can do because this thing's going to be evil if I try to drive it right now. Well, I'm taking a science class right now. And man, as much as I love science, it is fucking making me pull my hair out. I'm learning about thermal this and that and i'm just like damn but my the next thing though the 64 lincoln i have it's not as bad but it needs a new i think it's a heater control valve so the heat like when my wife and i are cruising in the car even with the top down there's heat that's coming out of the dash and it's like baking so i kind of get a little bit of what you're saying but dude that's no fun man (laughs) no it's not like i can deal with no air conditioning but Dude, this is this is another level. This ain't even the same thing as having no air conditioning. Hells yeah, man. So I got to ask this. We talked about minis. We know from a hot rod perspective, you're full bore there. You've got a, a couple famous builds over the years, the dually. But you also love these drag boats. And you mentioned earlier the connection with your parents. Uh, tell us a little bit about the drag boats, uh, you know, anything you want to share there? Because I think you had one at SEMA a few years ago that was connected up to a famous C-10. Yeah, that's my twin-turbo placecraft drag boat that uh, still isn't finished, even though you saw it at SEMA. It was it was like a lot of SEMA builds. It had a Bluetooth drive shaft and <laughs> was, miss, was missing the gas pedal. And, you know, it, it wasn't done, even though it looked really cool. Um, I don't know. I just, I've been drag boat racing off and on since... 2002 uh i won a championships in 2008 and it's just something i really enjoy it's it's kind of i know it's the equivalent of like riding a crotch rocket with no windshield you know the the sensation of speed in a boat is way different than driving in a car and so 100 miles an hour in a boat just feels like you're going 200 miles an hour and i actually prefer and and a more comfortable driving drag boats than I am racing cars. Uh, plus, there's bikinis, which are which are always nice. Hells yeah! I would say you don't really have those bikinis at car races. <laughs> yeah, you don't. My homie Tony Boss Boland, his dad has a big truck stop, and they rebuild big eighteen wheeler motors. I love being at the shop, and he's got a boat. Uh, it's got a cool name to it, and it has that '80s feel, and the motor's so crazy. I'll have to send you a photo of it every time I see it. I'm always like, damn, Finnegan would like to be up here and check this thing out because it's that rad, yeah. you know? Oh, man, I'd love to see it. Hells yeah, brother. So I was going to ask you, too, like you're no stranger to kind of switch the subject to podcasting. Um, when I think of, you know, Mike Finnegan, I think of all the stuff you've done. You've really kind of hit on a lot of different media outlets. You had the Dukes cast. Then you got the Kibby and Finnegan show, which is, you know, it's super sick. If you haven't checked it out, you definitely need to. But what do you like about podcasts that maybe other forms of media may not be able to highlight, Mike? Uh, I love podcasting because it's it's really easy to do. You know, one of the things I learned doing video is that it was a lot easier for me to write and photograph a story for a magazine than it is to tell that same story in you know on video. Mm-hmm. You know, video is it takes way more time and effort to make a video. And podcasting is awesome because you can just do it in your boxers, you know. Um, 
you know, I, I don't prep for it really at all. Um, my partner Kibby does a lot of the heavy lifting on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I just turn on my laptop, open up Skype and sit there and BS with them for an hour or two. And it's a lot of fun. I, I think I always thought it would be cool to be a radio DJ and just sit around and talk to people all day. And, mm-hmm. and so this is kind of uh, as close as that as I can get, you know, nobody, the great thing about podcasting is anyone can do it. You know, if somebody wants to just start talking and record it, you can put it on the internet, you know, same thing with YouTube. So it's very democratic. I like it. Yeah. And I have to agree with you when I started, you know, Instagram sort of blowing up and I had all these truck photos from Indie Truck Bash and, Rezo for the Sever 10th and you know I started sharing them and then it got to the point where like that was kind of you know running out of steam a little bit and I'm like well what else can I do and I'm like you know what I've met so many good people over the years I love telling the stories with the trucks and then even someone like yourself that has really had a great opportunity to to move around within the industry it's always good kind of you know syncing up with different guys like yourself Mike oh man well this has been great thanks for having me dude this is so much fun especially I follow the C30 page and I follow a lot of the mini trucking pages that are out there. Just, you know, I don't have a mini truck personally anymore, but I, it, I love looking at them and they, you know, I look at them and I get all fired up to build another one. I haven't done it, but I think someday I will. Well, Hey, any way you slice and dice it, you're a mini truck and OG, whether you want to know it or not, man, I do have a, a, yeah, no problem. A couple last questions. Like what advice would you have for maybe a young buck or anyone out there that's looking to kind of, you know, pave a way for themselves in the automotive scene, you know, whether it be trucks or hot rods or a different outlet, as far as media goes, um, any advice you have for someone out there? Well, I think, you know, it depends on what they want to do. Um, you know, if, if you want to write about them or photograph them, the thing I'd say now is learn a lot of different skills. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't tell anyone to make it a goal to work at a magazine. Mm -hmm. I would tell them, you know, work at telling a story and get really good at, you know, talking on camera or operating a camera or, you know, computer graphics or, you know, learn, learn a story from start to finish and do it yourself. You know, if you can make a video and do the whole thing and film it and edit yourself and host it, you're better off than a guy who can only type, you know? And the second thing is, is, I really believe this is you can't just write about things you're not involved in. And so I don't think anyone should write about a feature on a vehicle if they're not intimately familiar with how that vehicle is built. And I don't mean like they know the story of the vehicle. I mean, they understand what it's like to, you know, body drop a truck. And so, cause I think a lot of detail gets lost when somebody that doesn't, has never body dropped a truck, tries to write about a truck that's body dropped. Oh, I can't I don't think. And so I think the more hands-on you are, especially if you're going to be in a journalist or a host or whatever it is, I think the more hands-on you are, the better off you are. Your stories will have more detail. They'll resonate with not only people that own trucks, but the guys that build them. They'll respect you more, you know, because you'll be one of them. You know, they know you're not just a poser, just with a bunch of cool adjectives, you know. Hells yeah. Well, I recently felt really good, Mike. I know you've been in the print and different media industries for a long time. And there's a guy down here in South Florida, Tom Bennett. He's been in negative camper Florida a long time, 65 Lincoln, beautiful car. And as you would imagine, you know, the Lincolns don't get a lot of love and I run the Lincoln attic page and, um, I was able to help him with a a friend of ours, uh, Beth and rich at all time low magazine. And when I wrote the feature, 
it, it was kind of like an intimate type, you know, thing where I can write it because I know a lot about these cars, you know. I'm not an expert with the motors and things like that, but I know what has to be fixed and whatnot. So it's always a pleasure being able to write a feature based upon something that you're real passionate about. Yeah, and that's just it is, you know, like you said, you you might know not not know about, you know, motor, but you know the little quirks of that particular car and so you're the right guy to write about it, you know. Like I don't I don't know Lincoln's at all. I know, you know, in 65 you could get rear suicide doors. <laughs> I'd be the wrong guy. I would literally be the wrong guy, you know. But, you know, if somebody wanted to talk about bagging and body dropping one, okay, I could write that, but the car itself, you know, I am not an expert on that. So you're the right guy to write that. And, you know, I am not. Well, anytime Hot Rod Magazine wants to feature one, just send them my way and I'll write it. No no charge. <laughs> just messing. Deal. But uh, <laughs> so kind of the last question, we'll then we'll wind down with some of your uh, different social media outlets. But I wanted to ask, like, Hot Rod Industry, you know, you talked about the magazine industry. We know as much as we love flipping the pages – things change, you know, taxis are one day going to be gone, you know, Uber and Lyft take over. But when you think of the hot rod industry in 15 years, I know this is kind of a, a stage question a little bit, but do you see, I mean, we're seeing manufacturers go electric. We're seeing, you know, talks of indie cars and things like that. You know, do you see the same passion maybe just with more fuel efficiency or do you see us as fucking outlaws running these big 454 motors, you know, like, like hoodlums we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a couple of things that work there. First off, um, the noise is important. You know, the noise is a, a really, really crucial part of hot riding. So there's one reason there alone that, you know, electric cars are not going to take over our industry. But efficiency, you can't have efficiency without performance. So if you can make an engine more efficient, it's going to be more powerful. So a lot of the stuff we're seeing in modern cars that is going to keep trickling down into hot rodding you know better cylinder heads you know hell some of the stuff that they're doing right now with, with plasma lining cylinders and you know just stuff they're doing to reduce friction that that stuff's all going to end up in the hot rod world you know we're going to have that and what, what you're going to see is we're going to end up with cars that just make more power than you could back in the day with a roots blower and a set of cast iron cylinder heads mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that but as far as electric cars taking over that it'll never happen in the hot rod world just because you don't have that noise you don't have the vibration you don't have the rumble you know that's the stuff that makes putting some of these parts on our car that cost a lot of money <laughs> yep. that's what makes it worthwhile you know it blows my mind seeing you know some of the older episodes. I think when you first moved to your place in Georgia, how you were putting the motors together and stuff, and it does really blow my mind. Where you know the average guy is going to look and go, "Man, that's just a motor," but there's so much more behind it, and I think science plays a big part of it, of course. And to your point, you know, hey, that's the future, man. Make things more efficient, get the heat out of there, make more power. That's what hot riding's about. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So um, as we kind of, you know, wrap it up here, I know you embrace uh, many different um, social media aspects, and we'll talk about them here. We'll kind of give a rundown. But what's your favorite, and this is really the last question, what's your favorite part of interacting with fans? Because I would imagine that you kind of have, you know, an awesome fan base, especially just with Facebook alone, or excuse me, uh, YouTube alone. Oh, the best part about all of it is is that you can interact with people, you know. Um, It's 
you know, it's allowed me to see things and do things that I wouldn't even know exist had social media not been a big part of my life. You know, I've, I could probably, and this isn't, this isn't a statement about how cool I am. It's just, it's a statement about how connected this world is. Mm -hmm. You could probably go anywhere in the world and find somebody to have a beer with that's heard your podcast. And thanks to Roadkill and the other things I've done, it's the same way. I mean, we're, if you break down anywhere, you can put a post on Facebook, somebody's going to have the part you need. You know, it's made road tripping a lot less scary. And I think it's made a lot of people who didn't think they were car people take that leap. It's taken some of the, some of the fear away. And so social media kicks ass, even with, you know, some of the drama that comes along with it. It's still a good thing. Hell yeah. Well, hey, you wrapped it up very nicely there. I know you've got YouTube. You've got Finnegan's Garage, which we've talked about. On Twitter, it's uh, Mike at Mike Finnegan 999. And then you also, can you just give us a little insight about FS, or excuse me, FSMGarage.com? Yeah, I, I think, you know, someday when uh, my television career is over, I'll probably open a shop again. And so. Uh, Finnegan's garage at the moment is just the garage under my house. It's where I work on my own stuff. And I figure if I'm going to be down there working on it, I might as well get out my iPhone and shoot it and, you know, put some of the content on YouTube. So, um, that's what Finnegan's garage is. And, and fsmgarage.com is just a shopping cart where I sell t-shirts and hats and stickers. And I use all that money to buy bacon and beer and parts to keep my cars <laughs> running. Hell yeah. Well, the Jerry Rig University, that's got to be one of the classic shirts, man. I love that one. Oh, man. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> well, Mike, we uh, always enjoy seeing the content. You know, you've, you've, you've had a great career, and we, you know, we wish someone like yourself that's a humble guy that respects the culture, you know, from mini trucking to hot rods to, to freaking boats, dude. We love it all. We appreciate you taking time to sit down. Was there anything that you, else you wanted to share with the Airhead Nation? Um, God, I don't know, off the top of my head, I don't know, man. Oh, dude, I got elected into the Mini Trucking Hall of Fame. I know, you know what? And I should have brought that so up earlier. I did see that, bro. That's sick, man. I'm Congrats. I'm so excited about this. Yeah, dude, it's going to be rad. I can't wait. I'm more excited about going to SEMA this year than I ever have been because, you know, I'm going to go get one of those cool rings, which if I don't hurry up and tell Mike Alexander what size I am, because I don't know what size I am, uh, I probably won't have the ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when we talked about the Mini Truck OG earlier, I meant to kind of scoot that in there. But if anyone uh, just Googles Mini Truck Hall of Fame, you'll land on the Facebook page, and there's a lot of good information there. Mike, as you mentioned Back on April 4th, uh, you were elected in as a journalist. And, uh, you know, hey, we salute you, bro. You paid your dues and you continue to um, kind of reap the benefits of hard work. Uh, last thing I'd say is, you know, give a shout out to your family and uh, anyone else you want to shout out, man. Oh, man, I'm. thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And thanks, everyone, for supporting Roadkill and Finnegan's Garage. And, uh, and keep building lower trucks, dude. They make me happy. Hells yeah, Mike. Well, all I got for you is I want my $2, man. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> hey, thanks again, brother. We appreciate you. We just want to say we got you.